Hello and welcome to episode 333 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's show is with Charlie Kimball, indie car driver and type 1 diabetic. Charlie was first on the show five years ago. Lately, I've been finding myself thinking about some of the early guests from the show and wanting to catch back up with them. And in my imagination, I couldn't decide what an indie car driver does during coronavirus. Like, what's he doing right now? And the things Charlie told me about how he's prepping for the upcoming racing season didn't surprise me. This is a hardworking guy. Okay, I have something to share with you before the show starts. But before I share that, I of course have to tell you that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This is about the time I usually tell you that this episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by, and then I tell you about Omnipod and Dexcom and Touched by Type 1, and of course the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. But today, today they don't have ads on this show. Today I want to take just a moment to tell you about something that I've been doing that I think will help you, or maybe help someone you know. Longtime listeners know that the podcast is a mix of conversations with people living with type 1 diabetes. Uh, sometimes I have on CEOs of big type 1 diabetes. Sometimes I have on CEOs of large diabetes-based companies, smaller upcoming companies. People come on sometimes and talk about pumps and glucose monitors, but they also talk about glucagon and you know the type 1 diabetes exchange. I try to give you a good mix of content. But at the core of this podcast, it's always sort of been about how I use insulin and how my daughter uses it and the results that she's had. So back in February of 2019, you know that Jenny Smith came on and started doing the Diabetes Pro Tip series with me. And it really built into a, a quite a nice resource. So episode 210 is for the newly diagnosed or starting over, then 211 goes on about MDI, and then before you know it, there's Discussions about insulin, pre-bolusing, temp basils, insulin pumping, using your CGM, bumping and nudging. We talk about what the perfect bolus is and variables that could get in the way of your desired outcomes. There's a specific episode about setting up your basal insulin, about exercising, how fat and protein impacts your blood sugar, what to do when you're ill, injured, or having a surgery, how glucagon works, what to do if you end up in an emergency room, and the last one that was just put out in March of 2020 is about considering your long-term health. Now, the problem is because it's in a podcast, you know, it comes out once in a while this week, then not again for three weeks. And it's hard for some people to find. So I started diabetesprotip.com and it's just a place where you can go and listen to all of those episodes. And I still get credit for the downloads, just like if you were to listen through your app, but more importantly, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you wanted to re-examine one of those episodes, go back and listen again, or share it with a friend, it's now incredibly easy to do. So today's show is sponsored by me, and I'd like you to know about DiabetesProTip.com, because I believe that it is a resource that everyone using insulin could benefit from. It's, of course, absolutely free. Anyone can go use it. All of the episodes are with me and Jenny Smith, who, of course, is a CD, a registered dietitian, 
Uh, she's a type one diabetic for over 30 years and just a really incredibly smart person when it comes to managing diabetes. Now, if you've never heard one of the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes here on the Juice Box podcast, you may be interested to hear some listener reviews. This one's from Marty, and Marty says, The Pro Tip series is filled with such great information. Thank you. For someone who has been living with type 1 diabetes for 30 years, I wish I had been more proactive in finding this information sooner. I'm going to recommend this to my endocrinologist. Ibsen1971 said, My son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes about five months ago. I have learned so much from just the pro tip shows and will be listening to all of the episodes. And type 1 Tara said, this podcast has changed my life. I had a desire to lower my A1C and manage my blood sugars better, but was going at it blindly. Finding this podcast put everything into a tangible and practical management approach that has taken my A1C from 8.3 to 6.3 in less than six months. And that's just right now. It's going to keep coming down. So whether you're the parent of a newly diagnosed child or an adult who's been living with type 1 diabetes for decades, the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes from the Juice Box podcast, I think, can help you make a significant and lasting change to your health and your psychological well-being. Spend less time thinking about diabetes and more time eating the foods that you want and understanding how to use the insulin that those foods require. That's it. Diabetesprotip.com. And now, IndyCar driver, Charlie Kimball. We're recording. I'm sorry, but I'm laughing because you you were doing what last week instead of driving a race car? It's fairly atypical, uh, but Saturday night, my buddy runs a local trivia company, and He's gone from hosting trivia in restaurants and local establishments to virtual. So he's been doing running games through a YouTube stream and an online form submission to do these trivia games and has gotten some local companies to sponsor him and do prizes. And he and I came up with an idea to do an Indy 500 trivia game Saturday night. He We co-hosted it, sorted out some really cool co-streaming on his private YouTube page. Um, and people paid for an entry and part, a large part of the proceeds went to support charity. That's uh, value health foundation, which supports the, the medical center at the racetrack. Um, we were the original date for a fundraiser called rev that it, call it igniting the month of may at the indianapolis motor speedway mm -hmm. was last saturday night and it supports that same foundation so we were looking for a way to talk about indy talk about the 500 in the month of may and still be able to do some good charity work as we went along yeah right keep people uh busy too everybody needs something to do well tell me where would we be in this in the season right now if all this wasn't going on uh so typically Starting the month of May, we would be four races into the, the 17 race calendar. Uh, we would have started the season middle of March in St. Pete, Florida, gone to the Long Beach Grand Prix, raced at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, as well as Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. And this coming weekend would be the Indianapolis Grand Prix, uh, the same race you came to a couple of years ago. Right. And coming out of the Indy GP next week, we would start practice for the Indy 500, 
qualify, attempt to qualify the following weekend. And then the weekend after that, Memorial Day weekend, uh, Sunday, I think it's May 24th this year, would have been the 104th running of the Indy 500. Wow. Is there, are there any plans right now for how to move forward or is everything on hold? No, the IndyCar series has plans. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, has taken the largely unprecedented step in these unprecedented times to reschedule the Indianapolis 500 for August. So August 23rd will be the current plan for the 103rd running, 104th running, excuse me, at the Mm -hmm. Indy 500. The same timeline leading up to the race weekend with qualifying the weekend before practice the week before that. The Indianapolis Grand Prix, again, unprecedented. We are running a double header with the NASCAR Brickyard 400 weekend that's July 4th. So the plan is to have the Indianapolis Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on July 4th um, in collaboration with the NASCAR's Brickyard 400 event. Does that quick succession change the... um, I'm not sure exactly. So for anybody listening, uh, I got to watch Charlie drive a couple of years ago, and it was the first time I had ever seen an IndyCar race at all. It's it's amazing. It makes you walk away and wonder why anyone would do it uh, because it's going very quickly. Uh, it's hard to put into words if you've only ever seen it on television, but there's these missiles that are constantly flying past you. But what I'm wondering is, is are there rules in place about equipment, cars, tires? Do those rules relax or change or do they need to because the races are going to be more stacked up? Does anything like that change? Completely. They've had to re-evaluate all of those situations. Um, the I talked to somebody at IndyCar recently and he said, we want to be spending our time, whatever race weekends we have available, going racing and putting on shows however that looks, rather than going to test days and practice days. And because we have a few less races and some less miles, our amount of the amount of engines we're going to use this year are adjusting. Mm-hmm. The amount of tires we're using are going to adjust. Uh, and I think the track time might actually reduce a little bit. A similar amount of races because they've added a couple of double headers. So we will have a full race Saturday, go to bed Saturday night, and the mechanics will re-prep the cars, come back Sunday, and have another full race on Sunday, wow. uh, which means that it's kind of a twofer. The fans that get to come out to the racetrack for Laguna Seca in September, depending on what that looks like, mm-hmm. will get to see a full race Saturday. And a full race Sunday yeah, as well. Get a double feature. That's a exactly. pretty uncommon. I was wondering, are you able to get into a car right now? Like, do you have track time? I guess you could social distance and drive a car, but or, or is that not happening at all? It's not happening at all. The okay. the way the rules and the way they've adjusted the season, uh, any testing, any on track. Uh, is not happening. The, the plan, we, we got a couple of practice days before the start of the season, but the plan is at the moment uh, for the first race of the schedule at Texas Motor Speedway to be the first time that any of us uh, are back on track. Mm-hmm. I think the, the way different states are working and, and IndyCar teams are largely based in Indiana, 
but there are teams in Illinois, in Ohio, in North Carolina, and in Florida and Texas. And so the way those teams are able to get back to work and start prepping the cars, uh, it sounds like are going to start opening up this week, next week, into the end of next week with different protocols as far as the amount of people allowed in the shop based on square footage right. and who can work from home will continue to do that. But those that need to be in there touching the race car uh, will be with some updated cleaning and sanitation. So how do you stay in practice? Um, there's no simulator for driving, right? Like a flight simulator, you can't put yourself into a that doesn't exist. Am I right? So how do you, do uh, there are some oh, pretty high end simulators. In fact, Chevrolet that powers my IndyCar car, uh, has a great simulator. We find it extremely effective. We, I will go and drive. I sit in the cockpit. It's the exact same chassis that I race on the track. And that cockpit moves like it does on the racetrack. And I get out of the car at the end of the day, feeling like I've done a practice day at the racetrack, but we're able to get through a lot more engineering changes because it's quicker to change a computer than it is to say, change a gearbox or yeah. a differential or suspension parts or wings, that sort of thing. So we're able to work through a lot and we find that it validates what happens uh, in the simulator to the real world. Um, but with travel restrictions, I haven't been to the simulator yet this year. I think I will plan to before the first race. But honestly, most of the prep I've been doing has been my sort of normal training, mm. uh, working from home, doing doing interviews and calls with my engineers, with my healthcare team, sort of te telemedicine, uh, working with my trainer remotely and setting up a gym in my garage so I can continue my fitness work so that I'm ready to go physically when we get back to the racetrack. My son uh, plays college baseball. He's missing his, he missed his sophomore spring. Uh, they got about 10 games in before this happened and he's taking his finals right now from home. And he said to me, because we don't have gym equipment here. He said, when my finals are done, would you mind if I went out in the backyard and just took a sledgehammer and tried to dig a hole with it? And I said, I, I guess if you do it behind the shed, it's fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but um, but he's he's that lost for, you know, I mean, we're on the field, but I can only throw him so much soft toss. It's not playing baseball. You know, you only have so many catches and, and do long toss so many times. It, it doesn't really mimic it. And what you're doing is so it's, you know, it's just such an intense thing. And it made me wonder in the simulator when you have been in it, does it impact your blood sugar? for like anxiety and adrenaline, like a race does, or does your brain cognitively know you're not in a race? There is, it's a, a great question. Really interesting. Um, I'm not sure that I see the same impact in my blood glucose numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, I still wear, obviously wear my continuous glucose monitor when I'm in the simulator, just like I do when I'm in the race car and being able to see that effect there is definitely adrenaline, but there's also the physicality. I think both of those impacts, the adrenaline bump and the physicality wear off uh, or lower, so to speak, that I see in the race car, I think it happens in the simulator at just a reduced intensity. Okay. Um, so it, it really is very similar to 
as a good simulator should be, it, it, it's a great simulation of what happens in the real world, blood glucose and health-wise and on-track and driving-wise. And you're still shooting insulin, right? Your MDI? Correct. I am injecting insulin. Um, and I think some some of my friends might uh, look at me sideways if if I said that I was shooting anything. So, so you use, um, you so, use pens? Yes, I do inject insulin <laughs> Sorry, on yeah. multiple daily injections. Right. Um, and I've over the years, I've sort of evolved which insulins I've been using. Um, you know, I think the nice thing for me, at least being partnered with Novo Nordisk for over 12 years now is the ability to keep up with those insulin developments. Um, and I'm using Traceba and Fiasp on multiple daily injections to keep up with my blood sugars. Yeah. I have to say that it, within the community and the people I speak to who are MDI, when we talk about long acting insulin, Traceba appears to me to be the one that people talk about every time. I, I, I don't, I, I so don't know what the other one is because I don't hear it mimic back to me and my daughter uses a pump. So we're not, we're not using it, but I can't hear anything but great stuff about it, especially what they talk about is how it, it has coverage for far greater than 24 hours, how it kind of overlaps itself. People love that. And if I can, I think if I remember correctly, the, the numbers that I remember reading, and I think it may even be in the package insert um, I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but if you've been taking it for eight days, it can last in your body up to 42 hours. Um, that's right. Because I actually ran the number 42 on my IndyCar at the Indy 500 because of that, because of the, the duration of action. Uh, plus I got to borrow it from at that time I was driving for Chip Ganassi racing, my Chip Ganassi racing teammate. Uh, the their NASCAR car number was 42 as well. So there was the there were these really cool parallels, and we had 42 names of uh, people, either the developers of the molecule of Traceba, or and family members of mine, supporters, my healthcare team, other people within the diabetes community uh, on the race car that year, which was a lot of fun. I wonder if people know how rigorous it is to drive the car because, you know, you were saying something earlier and I didn't quite finish my thought about it, but you're getting an adrenaline boost, but there's still activity. They're fighting with each other. And so I, if you were just doing that physicality without the adrenaline, you might see a lower blood sugar. And if you had the adrenaline without the physicality, you'd see a higher one. It's just it, it's an interesting balance how those two things are both working against you and yet they're they're helping to balance each other out. It's uh, I, I don't know how much people think about that when they talk about activity and diabetes. I'm the son of an engineer. My dad's a mechanical engineer and, and designed race cars. So that's how I got involved. And, and I have such a linear mind. I, I mean, diabetes sometimes frustrates me because in engineering and in math, one plus one always equals two. Mm -hmm. In diabetes, sometimes one plus one equals banana. <laughs> it, it doesn't always make sense, but the perspective that I use, the analogy, is that there's this, this old school balance scale. And on one side, there are certain things that raise blood sugar, uh, dehydration, adrenaline, carbohydrates, uh, illness. And on the other side, there are things that lower blood sugar. Uh, exercise, insulin, hydration, things, you know, things like that. And so it, it, to me, 
it's interesting that in the race car, I've got things on both sides of the balance scale in play. Yeah. Now, you, you hear people talk about, especially a lot with their children, they don't understand why, uh, for instance, baseball practice doesn't make their kids' blood sugar up, but a baseball game does until you realize that without the actual competition of the game, you don't have the adrenaline. It's just that, and it wouldn't to the naked eye make a difference. You're playing baseball. It, it makes sense that they, you know, both situations would be the same, but they're not. Have you made a baby since the last time I saw? By the way, before I ask you that, do you know you were on the 25th episode of this podcast? And if this shakes out right, this episode is going to be the 325th episode of the podcast. So I have to thank you for uh, lending me some uh, gravitas in the beginning when I didn't deserve any. Because I was just starting out when when you were on the first time and, and the podcast is blown up. It's going to hit 2 million uh, downloads very soon. So uh, I, I appreciate that. That's that's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That's was- a lot of hard work and... Uh, amazing. And I'm, I feel honored to have been there early on and honored to now be back on talking about how life has changed. And, and you were, I think you were getting, I was going to say life has changed, right? Yes, very much so. And outside of this global pandemic, life has changed. My wife and I have actually welcomed two very healthy children into our lives uh, since we spoke. Um, we have a toddler, a little girl, and then two months ago, uh, just about the time I was heading to St. Pete for the first race of the 2020 season, we welcomed um, a healthy baby boy uh, into our lives. So while uh, the work from home situation and not being at a racetrack isn't quite how I envisioned these last two months, mm. it's been an unintended, unexpected, and much appreciated slight paternity leave. Yeah. It's been chaos because two kids under the age of two with a newborn and being stuck at home is extremely challenging sometimes. <laughs> but at the same time, I would never give back this time with my family. And as far as silver linings go, it's pretty special. We have the same feeling here. And I'm sure a lot of people who are lucky enough to be able to do their job from their home or, you know, or in your situation where your job's just sort of been slid into a different time frame. But I, as sad as I am for my son to have missed out on what he missed out on this year, it's so great that he's here. I try not even to tell him, but you know, he's 20, he shouldn't be here right now. And instead he's walking through the house and we're having conversations about things we wouldn't normally have. It's been really wonderful. Hey, the good news for you is your your new son was born early enough that next year you will not have to endure a ton of uh, pandemic baby jokes. People will see that he's a little older and <laughs> and they won't think that you uh, made him out of boredom during this time. <laughs> Very true. Uh, yeah, I, I mean it's you. It's interesting because you obviously work from home typically, right. and while I think a lot of people would see that my job at the racetrack is the only time I work as a racing driver. It's not actually the case Mm. as a racing driver, driving the race car, being at the racetrack is only about 15 or 20% of my life as a racing driver. The rest I'm working from home or working at home headed to the gym or working with my engineers, my mechanics, developing strategies with my partners, doing media obligations, things like that. So while it it looks different and not going to the racetrack is something that's been an adjustment for sure, working from home for me is is kind of normal. 
setting up the garage in the gym and, and finding um, that if I filled a five gallon bucket with sand and water to the right level, I could have a heavy enough weight to do the work I needed. That's new mm. instead of going into my gym. But being at my desk and working from home is kind of normal. Managing yeah. my blood sugar while eating at home and figuring out what activities and, and exercise look like stuck at home is is more normal for me than I think a lot of people would expect. Well, you know what you might find bizarre, but maybe you won't. My daughter's 15. She'll be 16 this summer. She's a sophomore in high school. And normally her overnight basal rate is around a unit and her daytime basal rate is closer to two units. And when school ended, she got home and she became acclimated with working from home. Her 24 hour basal rate went down to a unit an hour. So whatever happens at school, I don't want to, you know, say it's anxiety or stress because I don't honestly know what it is exactly, but something about being at school requires her basal to be almost doubled. And that's really, I, that's, it's really interesting to me because my I haven't seen a significant change in my uh, dosage calculations right. um, because I've been like I said, I've been trying to keep my workouts up and still working virtually and digitally with my trainer and my gym. Um, and now that the weather's getting a little bit better, we're into May. We're taking my wife and I are taking our kids out for walks around the neighborhood. We put them in the the wagon and go for a walk and and enjoy being outside as much as we can safely and socially distant. Do you find yourself walking in an oval or do you just go wherever the wind takes you? Well, that's the nice thing about the IndyCar series is at different races, we turn both left and right. So <laughs> I have the ability to create my own little street circuit through the neighborhood with the wagon. Charlie's a driver, does not feel forced to just try to turn one way. I um, I have to say, I was it was really nice to meet you in person. And, you know, I, I, I wonder if I want to ask how tall you are. Would you share that with me? I am about 5'10", depending on the day and the weight of the world, between 5'10 and 5'11". See, that's incredibly interesting to me because you're not much taller than me, but when I'm standing next to you, I feel like you're a different species and I'm three feet tall. So you're just in, you're incredible. I stand there and I go, how are we both men? That's bizarre. And uh, but, but my point was, is I was wondering, is there a height limit to being in that car? Like, could you be an amazing driver, but be too tall for it? Or could they build a car to accommodate different heights? The answer is yes, there are height limits uh, on both sides, because if you're too small, if you're built like a jockey, wonderful mm. for racing horses, not wonderful for holding on to 650, 700, 800 horses and no power steering in an Indy car. If you're not big enough to hold onto the car and get enough force through the brake pedal and through the steering wheel over the bumps and things like that, you won't be competitive. And if you're too tall, you when you're wedged into the cockpit, you never get comfortable. So you never get relaxed to, to feel all of the information and all of the messages that the car is telling you more than what's happening in your hands and your feet. You get messages through your shoulders and your back and your legs um, that if you're, you're wedged in there, if you sh you're shoehorned in there, uh, it, you never get comfortable and are never very good at it. Um, I, 
there was there are really competitive drivers as Graham Rahal, I think, is the tallest at the moment, and he's six foot three, six four, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's on he's pushing the the upper limit of the height require or height height opportunity in the Indy cars. I see. Hey, you know, I know we went over this before, but it was five years ago. I'm wondering, do you still manage your blood sugars in race the same way? Like, can you see your blood sugar in front of you? How does it work with the pit crew? It just would be interesting if you could. I know we're up on our time, but I'd love to hear about that before we go. I've got a couple extra minutes, especially to to talk about this, because I think over the last few years, I've continued to evolve how I interpret the data that I get. Mm -hmm. So my... So starting at the beginning, my IndyCar is different than everyone else's because obviously my body's different. My pancreas is different. Um, I wear a continuous glucose monitor. My receiver plugs into the car's data system. So on my steering wheel, I have speed, lap time, oil pressure, blood glucose, water temperature, car and body data right there together. And the cool thing is not only can I see that number and that data, but it's transmitted back to the pit lane. So the engineers that are making sure the car is running right underneath me can make sure that my body's running right. If I get, I have my hands full racing side by side for at 225 miles an hour. Um, and the nice thing about that is I know where I am. I know where I am on within that lane of, of blood glucose. I like to see during competition mm-hmm. uh, and most IndyCar drivers have a drink bottle to stay hydrated throughout the event. My car again is different in that I have two drink bottles, one full of water and a second one. We use a sports drink with extra glucose in it. So it's about, it's pretty intense. I think it's about 30 grams of carbs for six fluid ounces. Um, so it's, it's a, uh, it packs a punch, uh, so to speak. <laughs> And those two bottles come together at a valve that my dad, the engineer, designed. We got 3D printed, and it mounts right on my seatbelt. So while I'm racing, depending on what my body needs, either water for hydration or that drink mix for glucose, I can switch that valve back and forth to to bring my blood sugars up if needed. Um, Because even though the adrenaline of racing is intense, I find the physicality I'm more conscious of my blood sugar burning off during a race. And that's now, having dis- said that, oh, I'm sorry. I've never needed that drink mix to keep going during an event. That comes down to the preparation I do before I get in the car. So even though you have that available to you, you've never had to hit that that drink while you're driving because of how well you've got your, I guess, your pre-meal rituals and your insulin and all that stuff set up. Yes. Wow. That's what I'm saying. That's and I feel very fortunate that I have the tools and the routine and the discipline before I get in the cockpit to not need that backup plan. Mm. It's there as a backup plan. And and if I needed it, I would be very grateful to have it, but I'm glad that the work that I do with my healthcare team, um, I work with Dr. Ann Peters at a USC medical in California and working with my race team to make sure that I've got the right meal that's weighed carb and protein counted before the race so that just like the mechanics spend hours making sure every nut and bolt is tight and every fluid, water, fuel, oil is topped up, making sure the race car is prepared. My job is to make sure that my body is prepared. Yeah. Um, one of the things in sports is we talk about the evolution of the athlete. 
and in racing and in IndyCar, the cars have almost reached a limit. And, and I'm not going to say the limit of physics, but the limit of the rules. And so one of the easy ways to find a competitive advantage is within the drivers and the athletes. So we as athletes have had to learn about our bodies. We've had to learn about how to train. We've had to learn about cognitive function preparation and, and doing eye-hand coordination work in the gym. And that's part of why I've continued to evolve and learn from the data that I'm getting out of the race car and learn about the insulins that are available so that I'm continuing to progress as a patient and as an athlete. It's funny you bring that up because as I was thinking about you this morning before I did this, I was thinking about how seamless the race looks. And it, it, in my mind, I started thinking about how easy it looks to hit a, you know, a, fa a major league fastball when you're watching it on television or, you know, a, a wide receiver drops the ball and you're like, I can't believe you didn't catch that. Meanwhile, he just ran 70 yards in three seconds. And, you know, there's a man behind him smacking him in the head. And, but, you know, but to people who don't do it, it just looks like the way it's supposed to be. If we could get in a time machine and go back, we'd watch Babe Ruth and think this is the pinnacle of what baseball is. But if, but, athletes continue to get better and better and stronger. If you look at what a baseball player looked like 20 years ago versus today, they, they don't even appear to be the same people. And, and that's probably, you know, I, I, you know, as you were saying it, I thought, wow, that I, I was right. I couldn't believe I was right is I guess why I brought it up, but I, it's just amazing to watch those cars, how close they are. They're moving almost like they're attached to each other. You, you know, through turns and everything. And that's just, it's astonishing to, to see in person. I don't know if I ever appreciated it on television. And, and I find that. I find that if we have friends or people come out to the racetrack for the first time, a, a lot of my friends actually said, oh, we'll come to a race and support you. And now they're race fans. Yeah. I mean, they, they tune in and are paying a lot of close attention and, I think one of the things actually going back a little bit that I, I missed about the, the setup in my car that's different is all of that work was part of that evolution. You know, part every time I get in the car, I learn. And those pieces were developed in combination with IndyCar under IndyCar medical and safety and with my healthcare team and with my exercise physiologist and with my trainer. And being able to look back at the data of my performance and my, my diabetes management performance and, and start to develop ties and information about how that all plays together is it, it more than levels the playing field of the mental piece of managing my diabetes. I think, in fact, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I am a better racing driver because of my diabetes rather than despite it. it, it the preparation is um, for diabetes is it's all very similar. I was wondering, and I will let you go, but what range do you try to race in? Like when you look up at that Dexcom number, where do you hope to be? My aim originally years ago, 10 years ago, when I started in IndyCar, we used to, Dr. Peters and I would say, oh, we just want to be above 190 to, to make sure I'm safe. Mm -hmm. Well, as I've learned, as I've gotten better, as I've gotten more confident in my control, IndyCar's gotten more confident with me as a racing driver with diabetes. We've narrowed that window down 
based on performance as well as safety. And that, that ideal range for me is in that 150 to 175 number, yeah. um, which is higher than I would be on a normal day. Right. But it allows that blood sugar to climb before I see vision, focus, concentration challenges, and allows it to fall. And I'm not worried about putting myself or the other drivers on the track at risk. Uh, it, it's a, a really healthy middle road, middle ground, middle of the road number. L- low enough where your body can still perform the way you need it to. Hey, when you pit, have you ever taken insulin? Like, have you ever been like, not, I need Fiasp when I come in? Not during um, a pit stop in a race, no. Okay. Um, it's not something that's, like I said, the it's- one place where... I noticed the adrenaline. You were talking earlier about baseball between practice and races. Right. Um, And one of the comments I wanted to make quickly was that the Indy 500 is the largest one day attended sporting event in the world. I see a, because it's so big, it's the biggest race in the world in my mind. I see a bigger bump of adrenaline at the start of that race than any other event I go to. Yeah. And 50, 60 miles into the 500 miles, that adrenaline settles in and my blood sugar, I have a 20 or 30 point bump. And I know that 50 or 60 miles in, it's going to settle back down to where it was. It's the interesting about thing about adrenaline is that while it's there, it's very impactful on your blood sugar, but the minute it's gone, it doesn't hold the number. It, it, you, it comes back again. Uh, it makes it indeed. Yeah. That's very interesting. Charlie, I, I genuinely appreciate you coming back and doing this, uh, and I hope you and uh, your family are safe and washing your hands. And congratulations on your new son. Uh, a lot's going on for you, except for racing. So let's get you back into those cars and, and, and watch this happen as fast and safely as possible. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Scott. And, and I think if people, I mean, I've said it before, but uh, I always appreciate now as a, a two-time dad, a great dad joke. But if people want to keep up to speed with me, uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Race with Insulin as well. You know, when you said earlier, uh, one plus one equals banana with diabetes, I thought one plus one often e- equals I need to eat a banana with diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> but give, yes. give give that type. Where, where are you at? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, where are you at? So on Twitter at Race with Insulin, on Instagram at Charlie Kimball. Uh, my website's charliekimball.com. And for other information about the race with insulin program there's racewithinsulin.com as well i'll put that in the show notes too so people can click on it if they'd like thanks again man have a great day you too thanks scott take care huge thanks to charlie for coming on the show hey listen charlie is a paid spokesperson for novo nordisk i think you could figure that out because the words fiasp and traceba are all over his indycar but this was not a paid episode they didn't sponsor this or anything i just like charlie and i wanted to have him back on If you want to support the show today, go to DiabetesProTip.com and check out the Pro Tip series that I did with CDE Jenny Smith. If you've already checked out the Pro Tip series and you know how valuable it is, share it with a friend. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the podcast. There'll be another one tomorrow with Tomas from Dexcom. You guys, I'm giving away so much this weekend. I'm crazy. It's like one of those... uh, yeah, a guy comes on and he's like, oh, we're selling the furniture. It's like so cheap. Yeah, Sofa King. And then the guy's like, he's got like plaid pants on and he starts talking about the prices are insane. So I'm just like, I don't know. I've got so much content. I, I hate sitting on it for so long. So this weekend, you're getting free shows. 
no ads to listen to, good content. Really, I'm benevolent when you stop and think about it. If this episode was sponsored, it would be sponsored by Omnipod, Dexcom, Touched by Type 1, and the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. And I only mention that because they're right good people. And there are still links in the show notes to your podcast player if you know you. I mean, listen, it's. I don't want to lose the opportunity to remind you that if you click on the links, it helps the podcast, not just you. I mean, it's going to help you immensely. You're going to get a first-rate CGM, the only tubeless insulin pump that anybody with any sense would wear, uh, the best blood glucose meter I've ever used in my entire life, and a link to possibly the most lovely type 1 diabetes organization on the face of the planet. So, I mean, yes, it helps me when you click on the links, but by helps me, here's what I really mean by that. It means that when the time comes again for us to say, shake hands and say, would you like to sponsor the podcast again for another year? And they say, yes, that lets me keep making the podcast. You know, these people did not sponsor diabetesprotip.com, but they're why it exists. They're why I have the time to do it. So I guess you can look at it any way you want. Support the sponsors. Support the show. What they used to say on that hero show, remember that? The first like comic book TV show was uh, Save the... Hold on a second. Heroes. Save the... I can't remember. Save the cheerleader. Save the world. So think about that. And then just take out the word cheerleader, right? And the word save. And then what you say is uh, support instead of save. Support the sponsors instead of cheerleader. So instead of save the cheerleader, it's support the sponsors. And then instead of save the world, it's support the podcast. So... Save the cheerleader, save the world. I think that's clear. And there's no way you can come to the conclusion that I've been locked in this house far too long.